my husband passed away. My identity shifted dramatically. I wasn't a wife anymore. I wasn't a business owner anymore. I wasn't a CEO anymore. Yes, I was a mother. I wanted to hold on to that. Hey, this is Achim Novak, executive coach and host of the My Fourth Act podcast. If life is a five-act play, how will you spend your fourth act? I have conversations with exceptional humans who have created bold and unexpected fourth acts. Listen and be inspired. And please rate us and subscribe on whatever platform you are listening on. Let's get started. I am absolutely delighted to welcome Runa Buyas to the My Fourth Act podcast. Runa is a serial entrepreneur, a visionary thinker, and an adventurer from Iceland. Her life thus far is comprised of three distinct and uniquely different acts. And Runa is happily contemplating what her next act might look like for her. For 20 years, Runa was a trailblazer and industry leader in Iceland's beauty and wellness industry. She left this life behind after her husband's untimely passing to live in Santa Fe, New Mexico with her two sons, where she embarked on a no-holds-barred soul journey. After more than a decade in Santa Fe, Runa relocated to Los Angeles, where she co-founded the Conscious Leader Network. Here she emerged as a mentor and guide to CEOs and other visionary professionals who are hungry for a more purpose-driven world. In her current business, True Power Institute, Runa upends all of our traditional notions of what power is and how we use power. Welcome, Runa. Thank you, Akim. <laughs> I have to first of all confess that I consider Runa a cherished colleague, but most importantly, a good friend. We have known each other for a while, so this is not a conversation with somebody who I'm meeting for the first time. So hello, my friend. Hello, Akim, and thank you for having me. It's totally my pleasure. You are originally from Iceland. You were born there, and, and many people these days are familiar with Iceland. We may have many romantic notions of what Iceland is like and what it was like to grow up there. So I'm interested in anything you want to share with us, but also primarily when, when you grow up in a relatively small place like Iceland with lots of natural beauty, what were your thoughts about who you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, it's so interesting, Akim, that I wasn't spending my time on that. I think I was just too busy being in the moment, being in my life. I, uh, Apart from school, I was taking ballet lessons that took all my time and energy, uh, all my spare time. And I think that was a blessing because I see so many benefits from that practice that I have been able to utilize later on in my life. So I wasn't very occupied with thinking about what I wanted to be, but I realized looking back that I was kind of just following a traditional path, even though none of my family members had gone to college. My parents had the ability to support me doing that. So that was a, a new path for someone in the family. So I did that just like 
all the other kids in my school. So I was more following, I would say, the traditional path in the very beginning. I'm going to ask sort of, I think of this as an alpha male question. Right. If you were an alpha dancer, did you have dreams of, oh, I want to dance for a big ballet company in London. I want to dance with for Balanchine in New York City Ballet in New York. I'm not saying you should have. I'm just curious. Right. Did you have aspirations of that <laughs> level of success? Not, not in dancing. I remember when I was 17, I was in college at that time, and I was participating in a theater performance in the National Theater where I was taking ballet lessons, and they used us students for dance events in the, I think it was the Fiddle of the Roof or something that I was in. I realized that it was it was starting to be time for me to decide whether to do the dancing and or do the education. And I realized I just didn't have enough ambition to be in dance. So I choose to let go of that at 17 and put my full attention to college. But then I fell into into acting in college (laughs) instead. So still in the theater. So I was in two theater performance or two performances in college that gave me a dream because you're really trying to find out what I could think of being that I thought for a minute that I wanted to become an actress. Yeah. Now, you describe yourself as an accidental entrepreneur. So we've just talked about your artistic ambitions, but you became a businesswoman, I believe, when you were 23. Mm-hmm. And as you describe in your own narrative on, on your website, at a time when maybe that was a little less common for women in Iceland. How did you become this accidental entrepreneur? Describe that to us. Right. Well, going back to the acting idea, I did go to London and I had booked three auditions for drama schools in London. Uh I showed up for the first one. Maybe I showed up for the second one. I'm not sure. But the third one I skipped because I realized this is not me. And so I went back home to Iceland and I took a summer job. That's what we do in Iceland. We take a summer job. And it was it was at a company, wholesale company that had just acquired the agency for Lancome Cosmetics. And as I was in a summer person, I was made to go from department to department to fill in for those that went on on holiday. So I got to know everyone. And so I was sent to the cosmetic department. And because I'm so curious, uh, I started to just read up and learn about what we were handling and selling because I'd never used cosmetics like that. So that was just cu- curiosity on my behalf. But the idea was that I would go to university in the fall, like we do. And I did. I signed up for English. But in the fall, soon after I, I came into the English department, this company I had worked for during the summer called me and said, you know, our new salesperson, she just left. She she had something coming up in her family and she left. Can you fill in? And I thought, fill in? I, I know nothing about this. But again, my curiosity was greater than my fear. So I said, yeah, sure. So I took on a part-time job alongside being in university until very quickly I found out it was much more fun selling cosmetics than writing papers on English uh, authors or poetry. I found a passion that I couldn't deny, and I kind of just followed the energy. 
because I was having too much fun and there was so much to learn. And this, this resulted in that because I wanted to learn more after a year with this company, I went to England again, this time to attend esthetician school, which I did complete, took one year and became a, a beautician or esthetician. Came back home to Iceland, uh, did my six months internship that you had to do afterwards in a beauty salon, but always felt, I always saw it like a link in a much bigger chain of something I wanted to do. But this was just a, a link that I needed to complete, like a piece in a puzzle that I needed to complete. What happened also was that I fell in love. So I, <laughs> I had a, a boyfriend who's, father was also an importer and they had acquired a French cosmetic brand that they wanted to bring to the Icelandic market and they thought I would be a perfect person to help them with that so they tricked me into starting a business around this particular cosmetic brand and so that's how I started really putting my own work out there through this brand the relationship with the partner didn't last. So I wanted to give back what I felt was theirs because they had the connection. And they said, no, 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 this was always for you. This is yours. So I had to choose. And by this time, I had gotten this particular brand into all the major cosmetic stores, perfumeries and, and stores in Iceland because of my connection with uh, from Lancome, my Lancome days. Now I had all these relationships. And they, all these stores had bought this new brand because of me. So I had to make a choice whether to say to these people who had literally put money into investing in this brand, well, you know, it was a nice and fun game, but I'm gone. I'm not doing this anymore. Or do I take this seriously and keep on the work, the vision that I could see this could do? And I choose the latter because I couldn't, let go of the responsibility I felt I had towards these people who trusted me. I have so many thoughts as I'm listening to you, and I just want to throw a couple out. I, so many of us, I think if we go unchecked, talk ourselves out of things before even trying them. So when you were talking about the fact, I did go to London and they auditioned for the drama school, then through the process of auditioning, you realize that you probably didn't want this. And there's something very powerful about, you know, putting the foot into the pond and taking those steps. And I, I just want to relate this to our listeners because we all have inklings like that, that, and we, we squelch the idea before we pursue it. Uh, the other thought I immediately had is, and I'd like for you to speak to it. I'm, I think of selling is, Yes, it's about the product, but it's really about relationships. How do you speak about relationships? And I, what I heard as I listened to you is that I discovered, I, Runa, discovered that I'm, I'm good at it and I like it and it energizes me. Would you speak about relationships and the connection and how that relates to business? Yes. I have been asked at conferences on panels, you know, how did you build your business in Iceland? And I always say I built it on relationships. Yeah. Yes, I found I was good. I was very young, but these women in these stores, these were mostly women buyers, women owners. 
They took me in because they felt I was sincere. I was never trying to sell them something that they didn't need. I collaborated with them. I wasn't selling them. I was always looking at what they were doing in alignment with what I was doing. And what we were doing together was to serve the customers, to help the customers buy the right products for solving whatever issues they had. So we had that vision in common and we were just helping each other doing that. So relationships were very, very important to me. And then not only relationship with the customers, but also as my company grew and I had to hire people. So all of a sudden now I, I became a leader. I felt it was very, very important to create relationship with the people working with me. And again, I did that well. And people stayed with me for a long time. And they seemed to be happy. They were productive. We had fun. That was really, really mm -hmm. important for us. We had fun. So we we got a reputation in Iceland for being a company that was not only trustworthy, but also people wanted to do business with and people wanted to work for. There was so much wisdom in what you said. And I chuckle because like you, I'm, I'm a successful serial entrepreneur. I'm the classic accidental entrepreneur. And like you, and I'm saying this not just for us, but for our listeners, is the moment I understood that, you know, I want to have great people work for me. I want to treat them really well. I want to have fun with it. That will help the business grow. And of course it does. It's a no-brainer, you know, that it is so, but you articulated that so beautifully. Right. Let me, how did success as a businesswoman how did it change you, Runa, or did it change you? I don't think it changed me. What, of course, was different was now Now it wasn't just the responsibility wasn't just about me. Now I had responsibility for the livelihood of a, a number of people that were working with me and for me. And I took that very seriously because... You know, it means you have to, at the end of the month, you have to have the, the money in the bank to, <laughs> to pay the wages yes. and to pay your suppliers. So it deepened my sense of responsibility. And also, I would say the responsibility of being of service, being of service to my customers, in this case, the stores in Iceland, but also to my suppliers, because I also had to pay them and, and then to my people. So I would say it deepened that sense of responsibility in me. But I felt I was always the same. <laughs> I didn't take it very seriously to be a business owner or to be a CEO. You know, I would make coffee if no one else was around to do that when we had visitors and stuff like that. So I would say, thankfully, I was very grounded. Yeah. When I look at your life from the outside, and I'm going to use a... I'm going to use the analogy of a James Bond movie. Like, you know, when you go to a James Bond movie, you know, everything, things take place in very distinct settings. And then you're suddenly in a very different setting. Like you're in the middle of Mexico City and something cool happens. And then you're down in Istanbul at the Bosporus. And then you're in Paris. Um, after this very successful run that you had creating a successful business. Uh, 
I would imagine it's not easy to say, okay, I'm going to leave Iceland and I'm going to go to a completely different part of the world, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I know there was a marriage and children in between there, but I'm asking you to tell the story, but also for our listeners, I'm using you as an example of a guest who's made very radical life changes. Right. That's a radical change. Like, how did you go through that radical life change where you left Iceland and ended up in Santa Fe? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is it wasn't difficult. It wasn't? <laughs> no. Well, I have to tell a little bit of a backstory because in the last few years of my business, I started to, and now by this time, I have a team of people working with me, yeah. working for me. I have brand managers that are taking over the different brands. So I had been able to, how could I say, free myself a little bit of some of the responsibilities that were always lying on me. And so things were working really, really well. And I think the thrill for me had been really to build something out of nothing. But then when it had become something <laughs> and I had other people helping me, it was nearly like the spark was fading away, like it wasn't enough. You know, to me, it was not about building the business and let it grow endlessly. To me, it was more about create a manageable business where everyone could be at ease and happy and healthy, yes, and growing, but it was not about growth per se. I think what was missing for me was maybe at the end was a new challenge mm -hmm. because Iceland is a very small country, 350,000 people, and how many perfume bottles can you sell? How many cream jars can you sell and be excited about it? And I just lost excitement. So that was going on inside of me, even though I didn't share it. And on top of that, my husband, who was older than me, he was facing illness. He had Alzheimer's disease. So that was coloring our home life. And I decided to sell the businesses because both I saw a life where I would have to take care of him 24-7, as well as I felt that maybe my time was up for this particular adventure. So I sold the businesses. I had a retail store also that I had co-founded at that time in Reykjavik. And then soon after that, after I sold the businesses, my husband passed away. My identity shifted dramatically. I wasn't a wife anymore. I wasn't a business owner anymore. I wasn't a CEO anymore. Yes, I was a mother. I wanted to hold on to that. But I was married to a foreigner, to a Dutchman, who was very, very international. And I had been now dealing with international businesses for 20 years, meaning I had to spend a, a lot of time abroad, particularly in France. So to me, being away from Iceland wasn't anything new. And I had made a promise to my husband before he died that I would bring our two young sons up as international young men. And when I started to think about how can I do that in Iceland, I felt like, you know, it's more of the same. Everyone is white. Everyone is Christian. How can I fulfill this promise? So when an opportunity came to me to visit Santa Fe and later to move there, um, I, I was just ready. There was nothing holding me back. And people in Iceland would ask me, aren't you fearful? I said, no, I'm more fearful of staying than I am of leaving. Now, Santa Fe, 
is an almost mythical place of spirituality, of ancient knowledge. Um, shamanism, out of the ordinary, really out of the ordinary spiritual explorations. And I know you explored that world a little bit. So I'm curious, did you go there to explore that? Or did the exploration happen because you ended up living in Santa Fe and you went, wow, I can go on a journey here? Um, no, I went there because of it. I had met while still living in Iceland. I had met a teacher or teachers who were teaching about philosophy around personality uh, typology and in a, in a way philosophy of living life fully. And my husband and I had attended some of their trainings and I attended everything that they did in Iceland. And I later became their sponsor, sponsoring some of their visits and and lectures and personal work with people. So, and then I even started teaching this particular material of body of knowledge in Iceland before leaving. But these were the people who invited me to come to Santa Fe and they were doing training. In this case, they, uh, this was the summer after my husband passed away. And I had decided to spend the summer in Europe with the boys, but they said, come to Santa Fe. We have a, a retreat on our land outside Santa Fe. We want you to, to participate in. Plus we have an intensive in this particular body of work that I've been training in. And so, and they said, and bring the boys. We have two kids and they, we had already become friends. Their, their kids had met before. So I went there with the, with the kids. I did the training. And during one of the session in this training, there was just a knowing that came over me that actually this is where I wanted to be like no words. And one of these two teachers, she came over to me. She got the message immediately. She said, okay, we have to find you a, a house. We have to find you a car. We have to help you to come here. And they literally also were hoping that I could help them bring this body of knowledge to the business world because that's where I came from and that's where they wanted to go with this. And they wanted me to become maybe the European manager for this body of knowledge. So that's how I ended up in Santa Fe. And they were also training themselves at that time in shamanism and are, are now fully fledged shamanic teachers. A word from your sponsor. That's me. I invite you to go to the website associated with this podcast, www.myfourthact.com. You will find other equally inspiring conversation with great humans. And you will also learn more about the, the My Fourth Act Mastermind Groups, where cool people figure out how to chart their own fourth acts. Please check it out. And now back to the conversation. You know, the word that comes to me as I'm listening to you is the word bridges between things. Mm -hmm. You uh, you had people who were your bridge to Santa Fe, and ironically, they saw you as a bridge to another world as well. And and I can totally understand why that didn't make it almost inevitable that you would end up in Santa Fe. Now, we could spend hours just talking about your explorations in Santa Fe, but if you would give us a glimpse when we when we work with teachers, spiritual teachers, or do conscious explorations, 
it tends to open doors to a different knowledge and different awareness and consciousness that we didn't have before. And sometimes it's hard to put that into words, but I'd love for you to try. What are some doors that were opened for you in Santa Fe in your in your understanding of yourself and the world? I, I think what I realized in Santa Fe that what had been missing and bugging me in these last few years in my business in Iceland was that I didn't feel that what I was doing was based on deep enough purpose. I understood I was helping people, but it felt still too superficial, too glamorous. Cosmetics, lipsticks, perfume, can we live without it? Yes, we can. Maybe not creams, but a lot of it we can. So it didn't, it felt like I was helping people from the outside in. And I realized that there were, was another way of doing it from the inside out. But I was very, very aware of that I had to start with myself first. And obviously, I had to do a lot of healing after losing my husband. And we could say healing from leaving your comfort zone, leaving your nest, family, friends, safety of your country, and being a mother and father now, in a way, to the boys, because they had lost so much, not only their father, but their home country and, and, and family and friends. So I was very, very open and grateful and excited for what opened up to me. And they say when the student is ready, the teachers or teacher appear. And they truly did in the in the form of this couple, Jose and Elena Stevens, but also in the form of a Native American teacher, Oki Forrest, who I was introduced to. And just soon after I arrived in Santa Fe, I, I found myself sitting in a teepee, taking in some teachings about, I think it was about power animals. And I was mesmerized. You know, I'd never been in a teepee. I'd never seen a Native American, but I've always had affinity for for Native Americans. And um, I started studying with this Native American and she she would give me assignments. She would tell me, you know, you have to go out into nature and do this or do that. And I'm, I'm a good student. So I would always do what she told me. Right whether it made sense or not, whether it was scary or not. And one thing that opened up for me, because you're talking about what opened up, what opened up for me that has been absolutely instrumental in where I am today is that she she is a Mohawk. She is a Mohawk Canadian, but was married to a Mayan and lives in Chiapas, Mexico. And I went many times to Mexico to train with her and go on retreat there. But she also wrote a book about, in a way, her take on compilation of her understanding of the various shamanic traditions she had been trained in. She talked about the, the paradigm shift we are moving through, that we have been in a phase of that that she calls or her people have called the era of men for the last 5,400 years that we can call patriarchy or model of domination, command and control, everything coming from a pyramidal structure. And that now uh, the reason why the times are so turbulent is that now we are moving away from that era of men to the era of woman that we will be in for the next 5,400 years. And we are just in the beginning phase of it. And how important it is 
to to support what that requires, meaning looking at what is it in our human nature that we have kind of been squishing down and devaluing and not allowing to flourish, which is all the feminine qualities we have as human beings. So has part of your journey in Santa Fe been a reconnection and rediscovery of your divine feminine energy? I think it has, uh, Akin, when... You know, when I look back, I feel that even though I was in a very feminine business in Iceland and you, my innate feminine intuition to build that business and make decisions because I didn't have any business training or any role models or any advisors, I just had to come up with it myself. But I think the period in Santa Fe was about being introduced to the feminine and start practicing the feminine principles. And and what I'm doing now, where I'm now, is integrating the both. Now, part of what's so compelling about you is these very distinct transitions from place to place. And, and part of, I think, if we use the construct of different acts, which I use in this podcast, of course, and because I'm a former theater director, part of it is knowing so when one act is over and, and it's time is time is calling us to another act. And many of us fight those transitions. Some of us long for them. Some of us embrace them. How did you know that it was time to leave Santa Fe? Feeling. How do you feel it? I would say it was a knowing. And it was the same as it was when I left Iceland, there was, there wasn't much debate. There was a knowing and trust. And in Santa Fe, uh, during my time in Santa Fe, I had been in a personal relationship with a, with a wonderful man. And he had lived in Santa Fe when we first met, but had moved back to, to uh, California, Northern California, where he had been before and his, he was divorced. His, his kids were. And he tried for, he tried for about 10, 12 years to get me out of Santa Fe. And I couldn't, I did not want to live anywhere else. I needed to be there. And then just like what happened in Iceland, there was this knowing, okay, I'm coming to a completion here. I'm wrapping things up, but it took a long, long, long time for me to know where to go next. So I probably always stayed my, my visit in Santa Fe because I didn't have the next place to go to. I would say I had not been shown the next place. Some people love Los Angeles and some people just can't stand it. I I live in South Florida, but I'm one of those who loves Los Angeles. I get to stay in the beach cities, which are very sexy, but I, I love all aspects of Los Angeles. Even since I've known you, you lived in different parts of Los Angeles. So... Before we get go into your your purpose for being there and the work you do, just living in Los Angeles, do you like living there? Is it sometimes challenging and frustrating? What's it like to actually physically live in Los Angeles after you've been in Iceland and Santa Fe, which are very different in my mind? Right. I want to take you to the beginning when I first came to live in Los Angeles. I would say I was like a schoolgirl who fell in love. 
Uh-huh. I just fell in love with Los Angeles. And my first girlfriend here, she said, I have never known anyone who has taken to Los Angeles like you have. Mm-hmm. Just one, two, three. And just like you said, the diversity here, when I was looking for a place to live, my first home here, I went to all these different places, Santa Monica, Venice, West LA, Brentwood, yeah. Westwood, ended up in Beverly Hills. Can you believe it? Ended up, uh, which I had judged as superficial and, and glamorous and didn't want to have anything to do with, but ended uh, up living there for, for the first two years. I loved the diversity. I loved the climate. I loved the palm trees. I loved the energy because Santa Fe had been more diverse than Iceland. So at least we had three different cultures there. We had the Native Americans, the Anglos, and the Hispanics. But I wanted more. Yeah. So where can you get more? You can get more in Los Angeles. And I just was soaking in the energies and I just couldn't get enough of it. Where I am now, I'm in the northern part of Los Angeles in the valley. I'm not as much in love with my surroundings here. But when I go into West LA, I just get this loving feeling again and I am in heaven. Or driving down to see you when you come and visit some of these beach. Yeah, yeah, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. Yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. You've been very involved with, I'm going to use a loose term, I'm going to call it the conscious leadership community. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm torn about where I want to spend most of our time in the conversation. And you have embraced your own language, language around the work of true power. So with your permission, I'm going to focus on true power, which is uh, your integration, as you already said, of lots of things that matter to you and that you have learned along the way. Mm. If you had to define true power for somebody who maybe doesn't know what Runa Buyas means about true power, what, what does true power mean to you? We could come up with many different definitions, but here is one. It is being who you truly are. And then you need to find out, who am I? And when we start drilling down to who am I, and we start to go uh, away from the external roles that we are given, I'm a female, I'm a mother, I'm an Icelander, I'm a business owner. When we start to drill deeper down, we, at least I, started to realize that I was more than that, that there was some kind of awareness within me that I had not been able to put into words, but I feel have always been guiding me through that. I I called it intuition early on. In a way, this obsession of mine with power and true power comes really from this Native American teacher of mine who kind of, how could I say, shamanism is so much about power. And in shamanism, power itself is often defined as energy. But my Native American teacher, she talked about the four directions of the medicine wheel, and then you have the center of the medicine wheel, which we could call wholeness, when you have healed all the different parts of yourself. We could also call it power. That's your true power. 
when you have healed all the different aspects and you have come home to who you truly are, which is this awareness or consciousness or big mind or the Tao, spark of the Tao. And I want to say the word that some people would be scared to say, and that's from the religion I was brought into, God, that if we are aspects of God, then to me, true power is is our connection to that source energy or to that God energy uh, flowing through us, or in a way, we we living and leading from that God energy. And true power is our ability to use that power in different ways, depending on what is needed each time. So what I'm hearing you say, which which really is that there is no true power without a journey into our wholeness. Is that correct? Yes. Because power has so many, and for many people, negative masculine associations. Mm. And we've talked about the divine feminine. Mm. And you already talked about accessing intuition and a different kind of wisdom and the God energies. Are those more of the feminine aspects of power? Or are there any other aspects of power that you would say are not the traditional masculine attributes beyond what we just talked about? I think the when we talk about the trueness of the power, we need both the masculine and the feminine, the divine feminine and the divine masculine dancing together in a tantalizing tango. That's how I sometimes describe it. <laughs> it's a dance. And, you know, if we only talk about power, then we are talking about so many different things, external power, a positional power. I know, I know you have the five power plugs, body power, charisma power, expertise power. And then we have social power and we have even ancestral power. There are so many different types. So in a way, what I'm doing, Akim, I'm playing with it for an individual, which then is more focusing on their personal power, taking that inner journey into cell mastery and connection to their true power and wholeness to be able to wield that in a positive way with a positive impact for the collective. And that's where we come into the conscious leadership and then conscious business. And we could say conscious business models and power structures for the bigger whole. So that brings me back to my Native American teacher in Sanofi, because I did have a defining moment when I was working with her and she had been educating me on this paradigm shift that we were going through, that I could feel, this was actually reading her book, I could feel a commitment coming over me on the inside. I committed to be a part of this a paradigm shift to contribute in a in a whatever way my gifts and talents would allow me to bring this paradigm shift into humanity and, and this planet at this moment. And that's literally what I've been trying to do since then. Just for our listeners, you know, I want to summarize the, the, what we just talked about, the work around 
I'd say a whole a whole experience of power and a personal integration. You Aruna help people and businesses to do that work. I want to relate this to to your life right now. And I was just in Los Angeles a couple of weeks ago, and you and I had coffee in Riviera Village in Redondo Beach, and we went for a stroll around the Esplanade and. I had a sense that there's that you're on the cusp of maybe moving into other things that are emerging for you and that the, there's a whole other act and whole other ways of living and being that are showing up for you and that you're still in the middle of discovering that. Can you talk to that a little bit? Like what's emerging for you, Runa? And I, I want to just, first of all, give you permission and all of our listeners it's powerful to just claim that this is emerging, even even if we don't know how it's going to manifest. Right? <laughs> just saying, this is what's showing up. I don't know how it's going to manifest, but this is what's there. So, what's there for you? You know, um, I'm, I'm going to say I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I think you are right that I'm starting to sense. I'm starting to get that knowing that something else, something more is is still there that there is another chapter in the book and i've always talked about not only my life but life in general as chapters in in a book i feel like i've been here in los angeles for 10 years 12 years i'm starting to get more clarity on what my gifts and talents are and owning that and what my message is and i'm still sharpening that and trying to make it simple, simplify it as much as possible, because there have been times I felt I was all over the place. So now I'm trying to bring things into, into simplicity. And one thing I can share with you, and I haven't shared it with many people, is that one of my clients has shown up as a strong supporter of me. <laughs> And of the message that I have, which he feels is important. And he is literally, he has been, I nearly want to say pestering me, but I have then surrendered to the process. And we have been together, been creating a sponsorship offer for people to support me, to bring my message out because he wants me to be more out there doing interviews like this, talk about these things, because talking about consciousness or or power in business or power in society, power dynamics, which need to change is important. And so one of the things that, that I see is knocking on my door is, is an outside support that I could never have imagined myself or asked for myself. And what that will mean, where that can take me, what that will might help me to do, I don't know. But what I do feel for myself, like I feel for all my clients and everyone I need, is that I feel these times we are in are so exciting and also so important. They're so important for my grandkids and all the generations to come that I feel it is it is kind of our responsibility it's it's in every one of us to really examine what are my gifts and talents and how can i have a, a bigger positive impact on my family on my society on my workplace on the world at large so i'm looking at how can i runa possibly 
do more of having a bigger impact out in the world. I'm going to nudge you a little bit because you you just talked about what I call the big ideas. But also what I love about your story, it's it's connected to specific places and specific ways of living and being. So I'm curious if there is another chapter in your book. Would that be, do you see it in another place? Would you leave Los Angeles? Would you live somewhere else? And I'm not, I'm not suggesting you need to know what that is. is right. Is it connected well, to place? Well, I have started to ask myself, am I done with LA? And the answer is no. But that just knowing my story or history, I can't say there isn't another place. I do have one of my sons here and my daughter-in-law and two grandkids in LA. And that has a really, really strong hold on me. I really do not want to give that up easily. But if an opportunity came or opening for something that was so extraordinary that I couldn't say no, I would entertain that. But otherwise, I am looking for, in a way, I always say, we can do whatever we want from wherever we are. We don't need to be in a specific place. So for me, it's more about my beingness than a location. It's more about how I'm showing up for myself and for for other people and for the world every day. And in a way, living my own true power more consistently. Final question, based on what you know now, I'm not going to say what kind of advice would you give younger Runa, but there there might be listeners who, who think, wow, Runa took some big chances in her life. She made some big changes in her life. She's moved around the world. And there are listeners who might go, I, I have similar yearnings, but I, I don't know that I'm as bold as Runa is. Words of wisdom or guidance might you have for them? Sometimes we need to step forward before the bridge arrives. And also what I have learned is that there are more resources to support us than we think. And when I talk about resources, it's not just financial resources. It's resources in relationship, resources in in magic. You know, there are all kinds of things that come in to support us. And I believe that this power, this infinite power that created us and created the world and we have within us gives us the ability. Gives, and it's our actually it's our birthright to be able to tap into that power to make our dreams come true and to serve the world in our fullest potential. So if anybody's listening and goes, God, I want to learn more about all the different things that Runa does and that she's into, where would you like to direct them, Runa? Yes, they can go to my website, which is www.truepowerinstitute.com. And they can also find me on social media like LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook under Runa Bowies. Runa, I cherish you as a friend. And I also just am grateful to you for, for sharing part of your story in this conversation. And I know we will continue our conversations, but goodbye for now. Goodbye, Akime. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you. Like what you heard? Please go to myfourthact.com and subscribe to receive my updates on upcoming episodes. Please also subscribe to us on the platform of your choice. Rate us, give us a review, and let us all create some magical fourth acts together. Ciao.